Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome, first-time listeners, to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two journalists sit down and talk baseball. I'm your host, Howard Foy, and alongside me today is my wonderful co-host, Camilo Fonseca. Uh, And we're both talking to you guys from an online location in an online virtual studio. uh, From the cloud. From the cloud and in the comfort of our own homes. Camilo, how has the first weeks of summer been for you? They've been all right. Um, I mean, the Rays got a no-hitter thrown against them, so, you know, that's not spectacular but um other than that i think it was fine yeah it's been a interesting time for the rays it's been an interesting time in baseball as well i think there's a lot that has gone uh what you could have expected but there are teams that are struggling and we're going to be talking about the highs and the lows of the mlb uh current state right now uh but also there's a, a couple things that have monumental things really that have happened since the last recording Uh, unfortunately we recorded the podcast one day before miguel cabrera hit his 3000th hit um and obviously that's massive uh not just to you know carry on his legacy uh but it's an amazing accomplishment uh what are you what are your thoughts i guess on miguel cabrera's status and you know i think the last you know, five years personally have been tough for Miguel Cabrera. He's never, he hasn't been his prime self and kind of fell out of that prime uh, after 2014-ish era. But, I mean, what a scary hitter that guy used to be. No, I mean, he's a player who definitely deserves it. Um, it's a very exclusive club to be in. Um, I think he's also in the, what is it, 600 doubles club as mm, well. Right. I fit, yeah no he's he's an incredible player um and he's one of the one of the few bright spots on that Tigers team which we'll uh we'll talk about um but you know he's been with that team for what 15 years and they've not been like they've not been very easy 15 years for him so hey so. they had some great postseason runs as well they had a bright spot in the early 2010s you know with that amazing rotation that they had back in the day with scherzer verlander Porcello, david price uh you know and and i think four out of the five of those guys maybe all five of them actually went off to win uh rings it was aaron sanchez that was the last one on that five rotation list uh so Congrats to all of them, and, and they never did get it done there in Detroit, and they're not going to get it done this year if they continue at the rate they're going. So why don't we start with the struggles of the MLB, and as well, there was some no-hitters as well, but we will talk about that as we mm-hmm. talk about the teams the themselves. First. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, everybody loves to talk about the bad, uh, and we do too. We love to uh, point out why some teams are not successful and just overall how they have been underperforming this season. So, Camila, why don't you open the floor with one of the teams that you believe has not just underperformed, uh, but as well let us let us know why they're in this position. Well, I mean, we mentioned Miguel Cabrera and the Tigers. Um, and the Tigers, I, I, I don't think anybody thought the Tigers were going to be the best team in the American League. Um, <laughs> no, but, not by a far margin. But they made a lot. Like they were trying to have a a big off season. They got Javi Baez. They got they got um, a couple pitchers. They had prospects coming up. You know, we talk about Spencer Torkelson, um, and they had a great man like a, a manager of the year candidate in AJ Hinch last year. So I thought it was very possible that they would contend at least for a wild card spot. I don't remember if I if I ultimately picked them for a wild card spot or no. Um but they are in a very winnable American League Central Division and their record is 9 and 23. Like they they have been atrocious. Um they're 9.5 games uh behind the Twins which are currently in first just above the White Sox. Um and there's there is just nothing that this team is is doing that I I think would make them as competitive for this division as a lot of people thought they would be. 
Yeah, absolutely. I thought a, a massive part with their offseason was the uh, the idea of the kids coming up, right? The prospects coming through the pipeline, because this is what their years of sorrow has led to, right? I mean, they haven't been good in a, in a quite considerable amount of time now, just in that rebuilding process. And you want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I thought maybe this would be a season where they wouldn't be top of the central but we would see some of the fruits of their labor right we, we'd see some of that come through uh but the signings haven't panned out correctly the prospects aren't doing as well and and just the team overall just isn't uh producing enough to result in wins yeah it's their well it's the worst combination that you can have because their rotation is underperforming and their offense is is massively underperforming. Um, Torkelson, who everybody, he was a uh, rookie of the year uh, favorite, or I would, I don't know if I'd say favorite, but at least a candidate for rookie of the year. Um, he's batting 144, 267, 264, um, which is terrible. Akil Badu, who was a rookie of the year candidate last year, um, was sent down to AAA to uh, Toledo, I think. Uh, is that... I think that's Detroit's AAA team. Um, but he was sent down to AAA, and just everybody else on this team has been underperforming. The only There are only two players in the starting lineup that have positive OPS, or, or excuse me, positive OPS pluses, which are um, uh, Harold Castro and Austin Meadows, former Ray, um, who actually leads this team with, I think, 128 OPS plus. I'm looking here at my notes. Um but ev- there are like five players on this team that have an OPS plus of 80 or below, which is obscene, you know? Um, these are players, I mean, they're new players like, you know, Spencer Torkelson, um, but Jonathan Scope, Hamer Condelario, like these are players that have been in the league, you know, that you would think of as, as veterans, and they're just not, they're having career poor years, <laughs> which yeah. is you know, not good news for A.J. Hinch. Yeah, the offense has been uh, where the problem is for the Tigers. Because if you look at their pitching as a team perspective, not looking at maybe who's performing well and who's not, they're a middle-of-the-road pitching staff. I mean, they rank in the American League 7th best team ERA. Their team whip is uh, 7th as well. So obviously they, they're, they're able to... Um, mitigate damage uh for the most part as a as a like i said a middle of the road pitching staff but in terms of runs scored in the american league they're the bottom of the list they've scored the least amount of runs this year so obviously without run support you're not going to be able to get yourself some wins and i'm i'm happy that you mentioned aj hinch because there was a lot of questions with after his suspension, him coming to Detroit, a lot of people thought of it as sort of a banishment, if you will, uh, from his acts in a in the Houston uniform. But uh, I'm curious, what you think is going wrong with AJ Hinch, and do you think AJ Hinch was kind of the right decision, managerial wise, uh, down there in in Detroit? Um, I I I think it was the right decision like I think he's a good manager um I just think that the the moves that the front office made over the um over the offseason just haven't panned out for him um that that's not to say I'm saying AJ Hinch is is blameless but Mm. I think I feel like a lot of it is out of his control because the team that he had last year on paper was worse than the team that he has now right um and yet they they got it. They I think what was it like seventy eighty wins, um, which was way more than I think a lot of people expected. Um, I I don't know. I think I think this team will get better. I don't think they are a last place team in the AL Central. Um, but they they're really going to have to start hitting fast if they if they want that to happen. Uh, yeah, definitely, and I, w- I want to stick with the American League Central here on a team that is not necessarily underperforming, uh, but you know they're not 
doing as well as definitely we perspect, uh, expected. Um, I guess that's the definition of underperforming now, isn't it? But they are 500 baseball team, 14 and 14. The Chicago White Sox haven't been able to put themselves on the top of this division, which I had them leading this division and eventually winning. Of course, you know, it's only 28 games into the season for them. Um, but a lot of people are pointing at Tony Larusa as the issue. So on the topic of managers here, uh, both Tony Larusa and AJ Hinch were manager free agents at the time of both of their signings. Um, and you got to question whether or not the White Sox made the right decision going with uh, La Russa over Hinch. And both teams are now underperforming in their respective positions. So I guess we can't really tell the, the difference. I think, I don't know, I, I didn't hate the decision to go with, or at least looking back on it, I don't think I hate the decision of going with Tony La Russa as mm. much as other people do. Um, because he is a, a tried and tested, uh, literally a Hall of Fame manager. But that said, I would it have been better if they'd gone with A.J. Hinch? I, I think probably. I think A.J. Hinch has um, a better grip on how to handle a what is a mostly you know young, partially inexperienced lineup. Yeah, um, because he had to do it with the Astros at one point. Uh, and, right. And aside from what we know about the Astros, they were a good, they're a good team. They are, are a good team, and they, they were a young team back right. then when he was uh, really turning the organization around uh, to be a playoff contender. Uh, so I think that the, the Tigers definitely knew what they were getting when they got A.J. Hinch. But I, I do feel like he would have fit the culture of the White Sox more. But, of course, didn't have... At that time, it was like a weird... If you signed A.J. Hinch, you were losing anyways because the media would have been very against A.J. Hinch for his, his actions out in Houston. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, well, as much as all that is true, though, I don't know if I would consider the White Sox a team that's necessarily, you know, I don't think they should be hitting the panic button as much no, as, not, not, you know, some sure. of these other teams. Because also... We have to, like, they've been dealing with injuries upon injuries. You know, Lance Lynn is out till June. Eloy Jimenez has, has been out for, I think, almost a month already. Uh, Yuan Moncada. Like, so many key contributors to this team have been out. Um, and obviously, as a major league team, you have to deal with that. But I don't think it's, you know, a 14-14 and 14 record is not, this team is not a 500 team. Um, and I think, you know, Getting closer to the All Star break, as we start to see some of these people come back, I think that record will will even it out. Whether it's enough to catch up with Minnesota at this point, I don't know. Um, yeah, and I don't think they have a lot of ground to cover in the Twins. Absolutely not. They're not far behind the Twins. I just thought to mention uh, that this team is has question marks on them. Uh, the injury mm-hmm. list, as you mentioned, is a big issue for them having those players out. Uh, Riawan Mankata specifically, and I get for their for their the impact he brings to the offense. But Lance Lynn is a good talking point because it seemed as if this team didn't have far to go in order to make themselves not only a World Series contender but a World Series winner. Um, but the biggest problem for them was that they didn't spend the money to keep Carlos Rodon, and instead it seemed like they they were picking to save Lance Lynn over to save Rodon, which I think was a worse situation, but Lance Lynn was the cheaper option. So I feel like this team just didn't um, spend enough, which was something that I didn't catch when I was doing my predictions, uh, in order to put themselves in that uh, position. But perhaps through time, we're going to see them develop. Uh, But there's a lot of other teams that are also struggling outside of this uh, American League Central. Uh, they, the, I must say, American League Central, not looking great for most of them. <laughs> but yeah. moving out from the the struggling players there to underperforming teams in other divisions, uh, we have a team that is so close to my heart. <laughs> the Boston Red Sox are not 
performing well at all. They've been pretty atrocious uh, themselves. It's been tough to watch. Uh, in fact, most nights I try not to watch and try not to get so overloaded with with the dissatisfaction I think you can have as a fan uh, yeah. when your team is disappointing you night in and night out, right? So they're they're, they're not doing well. They're, they're 11 and 20, 11 and a half games back from the Yankees who we will touch on, uh, not just touch on, but we'll talk about in pretty good depth uh, later on in the episode when we're talking about teams that are doing well, but they're four and nine at home. You hate that. I went to a game at Fenway this year and I did watch them win the game. So I'm not too angry there. Uh, I got to see one of their one of four wins I had at Fenway and they're seven and 11 on the road. They're two and eight in the last 10. So what's the issue with the Red Sox? Okay. I think there's a lot of problems. <laughs> there's a the, lot of problems. There's a lot of holes, right? Uh, the starting pitching was something that I had presumed was going to be an issue going to the season. That was what I talked about mostly. I talked about the pitching both on the reliever side and the starter side was going to be tough. And then we both mentioned how the Red Sox offense was going to be the thing that pulled them through as it had pulled them through in years past. Uh, right. But the problem is, is the offensive machine that the Red Sox were and have been uh, the oil is out. They are not running. They are not competing. And they are a bottom offense in the American League and overall in the entire Major League Baseball, right? They're, they're not doing well enough. There's three players on the Red Sox lineup who have a batting average over 300. That is Devers, Bogarts, and J.D. Martinez. That was, that's great. That is a great core, and they've been a great core. The issue that I have is these are the, also the only three players that fans are talking about with question marks over their heads. Bogart staying. J.D. Martinez is definitely out the door. Uh, I don't think they should resign him anyways. Uh, I think he's just a, he would be an overpaid veteran at that point, unless he took a very team-friendly option. Uh, but there's probably... For the money that he'd ask for, better DHs to fill his position. And then Devers, of course, isn't on a long-term deal either. So the three best players that are performing offensively are also all the ones that people are talking about might leave and they might not keep. Um, yeah. The rest of the offense has been... I don't even know what word to describe They're them. Well, but, I can tell you the rest of the... The offense outside those three is batting 186. Which, I mean, obviously, if you take your three best players out of out of the lineup, it's going to get worse. But, you know, when six nine when six ninths of your... When most of your team is batting below 200, that's, you know, that's a problem. And it's it's been... It's not just the younger players on the team either. Like, the... I feel like the problem has been a lot of key contributors... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Key contributors from last year have not been contributing key contributors from that were brought in have not been well from the exactly well I'm talking about Kike Hernandez who has a 44 OPS plus um which you know uh, he had a, a respectable 107 last year but still like from 107 down to 44 that's horrendous yeah, and then uh, Alex Verdugo and Trevor Story. Alex Verdugo, of course, having a pretty decent season last year. Had some memorable moments, came up pretty big with some defensive plays, uh, had some major home runs. Uh, he's not exactly a clutch hitter, uh, but sometimes he'll come through, and, and Red Sox fans love him for that. Has been just off the planet, really. And... Trevor's story as well. You bring him in, everybody... Yeah, he's in a tough situation because... He's not at Coors. He's not at Coors, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's... But, I think that's... I, I, I'm not going to say I, I've been saying it, but I, I think the splits from last year showed that this was an issue, and I, I think it's, it's just become worse than anybody even expected. I, I think there's a lot going wrong with Trevor's story. And I don't, you know, it's a six-year deal, right? So 
it's really tough for me to lose hope on a player that I know is going to be playing here for a while in the first year uh, because there's a lot to that determines that, right? But he's in a tough position because uh, everybody's riding on him to have that success and to perform. And that's what you expect when you get a free agent signing. Uh, but through the first 28 games, it's been a tough road. Uh, he hit his first home run against Atlanta uh, the other day and had a pretty good series against the Atlanta Braves. Now, I must mention, he has a 1,200 OPS against the Braves in his career. So, you know, we'll see whether or not uh, he can perform against anybody else. Uh, but he is a Braves killer, apparently. Uh, the Red Sox, on the other hand, are not. But they did lose that series. And honestly... Those three, Kike, Verdugo, Story, need to pick it up. If they pick it up, I think this team doesn't go 11-20, and 20, and I know that might be a obvious take, but it's the truth, and uh, the Boston media definitely has been scrutinizing this offense, uh, but there's bigger question marks on this team that I think Boston media are talking about, and it's the question mark in their bullpen. The season started, and the Red Sox actually had one of the best bullpens in the league. They were um, giving up minimal runs, and I talked about how I thought, you know, this this isn't going to last that long, and I was right. It didn't last too long, and the reason it didn't last too long is because there's nobody in that bullpen that you can rely on to close out a baseball game, and here's... I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's true. That's a little harsh. That isn't harsh. So the Red Sox have had... 15 save opportunities this season. 15. Out of those 15 save opportunities, they have only won six saves. They've had six saves in in 15 save opportunities. They have lost... There are 0-6 in extra inning ball games and have been walked off against seven times this season. Obviously, the back end of that bullpen is the major issue. There's nobody back there that is a closer because literally they moved their closer, one of their best relievers, to a starting pitcher, which I was not against. I love Garrett Whitlock, uh, but I think the move from bullpen to starting rotation has actually hurt the Red Sox uh, because he is a guy back there that you can rely on typically. And, you know, I love seeing them pitch five innings, four innings as well, but if he's just going to go four innings and just have the bullpen blow it, I don't know how much I can trust that and be on board for that, in fact. Um, but it, it's been it's been the worst experience I've had <laughs> watching the Red Sox because most games we start off and, and maybe we're winning, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning, and you get excited. All of that energy is pent up, and then the loss happens. And you just feel so empty inside because all of that energy that you did have is now dispersed and reused in a negative format. So as Red Sox fans <laughs> have been, we are in a very negative sphere right now. We're negative headed, but we got to hope that somebody can be in that bullpen to close. And, and that's their biggest problem right now. I think the offense will fix itself, but the relieving that is a not just a managerial position because nobody, literally nobody is named a closer anymore. They have a very free flow bullpen. Anybody can close at any time. Guess what? Anybody can close at any time, but nobody can actually close at any time for the Red Sox. So that's got to be what they address. Uh, but why don't we talk about uh, a non-struggling team in this division? I got to talk at length about my team. Uh, but Camilo, what are you feeling about your uh Tampa Bay Rays. I think the Rays are exactly where a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot of people, where I thought they would be at this point uh, in the year. Um, the only thing that's really different is who's around them. You know, they're in second place right now. I think they're, um, they are 19 and 13, um, and they're four games behind the division leaders, who we'll talk about. Um which I, I think is on pace for um, what a lot of people were thinking about them. Um, you know, obviously, there's a very strong division, uh, Blue Jays, Yankees, 
Um, a lot of people had expectations for the Red Sox. We, we're seeing how, how that's turning out. But, you know, this is, a, this is a solid team. I think they've been doing the best that they can with the amount of, especially their starting rotation that's been out. You know, I mean, obviously, Glasnow's out till, what, September. Uh, Shane Boz is out. Luis Patino's been out. Um, so I think they've they've been pretty respectable. I think the some of the younger players that have just been brought up are struggling to find their footing. Um, but I think also that a lot of the offseason moves have sort of panned out. You know, Harold Ramirez is I, I he's slugging his slugging percentage is fantastic. Um Mm-hmm. which a lot of people kind of dismissed that when that acquisition was made. Um, you know, Isak Paredes, Josh Lowe have been not great, um, but there is certainly promise there. Um, I still think that that Isak Paredes trade was um, not favorable. Uh, but obviously, you know, because Meadows, Meadows is the best now offensive player in a poor offense for the Tigers. Obviously, I think they made a good move there. Uh, but I don't know. I, I still feel like Paredes was not a needed player for your organizational depth. Um, I think that his role was already taken by two or three other guys on that team, and I don't know how much he really improved on that. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with you. Um, but I don't think... I think it was a bad trade, but I don't think it was you know, anywhere near as bad as a lot of people, like a lot of people um, were saying that it was, you know, evidence that the the Rays front office had gotten, you know, too smart for their own good. Um, and they were trying to find... Was that within the Rays, like Twitter sphere? Or was that, is when you say people, do you mean like uh, the general consensus of the Major League Baseball fans? I mean, I think I, I've saw it mostly within the Rays Twitter sphere, but I think there were also people that were like, you know, let's see, the front office usually knows what they're doing. Um, and I think, I do think this is a trade that can, in the long term, it can pan out. Because, you know, Meadows, he was, he was not paid a whole ton, but that was a, a significant chunk of a small roster was his his contract. He didn't have a whole ton of team control left. Um, and I guess they just saw the upside in Isak Paredes, which, to be fair, you know, his his uh, underlying numbers aren't that great, um, but when he, he was uh, instrumental, some pretty key moments in the last couple games, um, and I think just having him honing his his skills in AAA for a little more, more will do him some good. I, I, I'm certainly not pessimistic about that, nor am I for the position that they are in right now. So we talked at length about both of our teams. I spent a considerable amount more venting about my issues with the Red Sox, and and for good reason, I feel. Uh, But let's move to some struggling teams elsewhere, outside of the league and outside the American League East. Uh, But going all the way out west to uh, the American League West, where we have a Mariners team that we might have thought was going to be a division champion, uh, now looking at a much tougher mountain to climb through the short part of the season. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, they're fourteen and eighteen now. They're two and eight in their last ten, three and twelve in their last fifteen. Um, I think honestly, this is just a. a combination of a, a bunch of different factors uh they've had a pretty tough schedule um they've had uh, like ha- over half of their i think 20 of their games have been against 500 teams over 500 um so yeah i i i don't know i this team is really tough because it seems that there are to me, there I can't pinpoint a single thing that this this uh, team has been doing wrong. Um, I mean, there there have been things that they've underperformed it, like the rotation is not doing super well. Um, I think you know, I think Logan Gilbert is the only 
a member of that starting lineup or starting rotation that's done particularly well in terms of, you know, ERA, ERA plus. Um, Robbie Ray, who I think a lot of people were really counting on to anchor this rotation, has not been doing, like, he, he's not been doing super hot at all. Um, but I also think that part of that has to do with the lineup mm-hmm. um, rather than this squad going through, like, this squad being um, hyped up. I think they're in a rough overrated patch. at the outset of the season. They're definitely in yeah. a rough patch here. Um, but on, I can pinpoint some things that I might uh, see as their biggest issues. Uh, they lead the American League uh, in home runs let go with 42 home runs th- throughout the season. The Rays, though, though, on the flip side, are also the second most home runs let go uh, at 38. Um, but their, their team ERA is fourth uh, worse in the American League, or fifth worst in the American League, sorry. And their team whip is fourth worst in the American League. So there's something going on with the team pitching, and maybe the long ball is the issue for them. Um, But I just think they've become really unlucky. They don't see that... They're not in a lot of ball games where there is a crazy amount of run deficit. Um, but they're just not able to uh, be on top when the nine innings are over. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that part of it is is some offensive, yeah, we'll say struggles. Um, you know, Julio Rodriguez has not been doing as well as a lot of people might have hoped. Um, Jesse Winker has not been doing as well as a lot of people hoped. Um, but I... I I think that these are all things that can and will change as the season goes mm-hmm. on. I, I don't think that the Mariners... And again, the Mariners are only six and a half games behind uh, the top, the Astros right now, who are at the top of that division. So I really don't think that they need to be ringing the hitting the panic button, as we were saying, just yet. Um, I had picked this team to be not only division champions, but to be... Um, the second best team in the American League. So I still think that is very much possible, but they really have to get um, this pitching especially figured out. Yeah, they've been a little bit on... They're just on a down, I think, and, and I, I think they'll they'll figure it out. Moving forward to the National League, uh, we've talked a lot about the American League and about a lot of disappointments, and that's for good reason, because on the National League side, I don't think there's been a lot of teams that have been uh, necessarily disappointing or not up to where we had thought they would be. Um, but one team that I guess is a little bit underperforming, and there's two of them, and they're in the same division, uh, is the Braves and the Phillies. Uh, not doing too well. The Braves and Phillies both have uh, losing records to start the season, uh, as well as the entire division besides the Mets have losing records as well. So uh, a weak NL East in terms of competitiveness at the moment. Uh, but what do you think is the issue with the, the Phillies there, uh, Camilo? Um, I just think... I don't know if I th- I think this team is is necessarily underperforming under necessarily underperforming just because I th- they are about where I thought that they would be. The other thing that we have to remember is that the National League East, especially like if you take away the Mets, the whole East is pretty par um, from second to fourth place. You know the. The Phillies and Marlins are tied for for uh, third. Braves are just half a game ahead of them. So I don't know if it's as much them underperforming as much as, you know, the, I, I think this team is a 450, mm-hmm. 480 team, yeah. you know. Really? I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they could definitely do... They could definitely be, you know, 500, 520. You know, I think this team with the offense that they have has the potential to do that. But it's just, as I mentioned with our first episode, I, maybe it was our last episode, uh, was that there's 
good starting pitchers have not been good, right? So you, you got to have those guys to perform. And that's why I think they're necessarily underperforming because the people that we thought to be considered their best pitchers have been some of their worst pitchers. Um, they need to figure it out. Yeah, and who I'm referencing is Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, by the way. Sorry, I didn't make that clear. Uh, but I don't think the slow start should be that concerning. I think maybe they'll start to turn it around. Uh, they definitely need to have a better record than the Marlins, which they are tied with at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, the Marlins are also a team that I think you could say is doing, I don't know if I'd say overperforming, but they're doing better than than people would have expected. Well, so I don't know how many they're two in their last contested. They've won two games in their last 10. So uh, they were definitely doing a lot better beforehand in yes, the overperforming sense. Uh, but uh, the Braves uh, moving forward into this division, because I think we've spent a lot of time talking about struggling teams. Uh, but And then moving from the Marlins, who have overperformed weeks prior to the Braves, who are five and five in their last ten games? Uh, they're just kind of middle of the road right now. They're having a slow start, and the last four seasons haven't been too kind to them through their first few games. Uh, and they've actually been known, I guess, I guess recently to have slow starts. Uh, so it's obviously a question mark on these were the World Series champions last year. What has happened? They didn't lose much. I feel like in the off season, how could they be? Um, how could they have a losing record to this point? Uh, they're only two games back of 500, and I, I see them on an incline following the return of Acuna Jr. Uh, but it is like Charlie Morton is a guy that has like a six-year array on their team. Last year, he was pretty big for them, but he's also 38, right? So he's aging. Um, some pitchers, though, are uh, of that age and are doing well, such as Verlander and um, Max Scherzer, right? So... Uh, they do need a little more output from them, but Scherzer and Verlander, first ballot Hall of Famers probably, uh, not in the same conversation as Charlie Morton. But as we talk about success and success of teams, why don't we move to who's doing really well that was unexpected? Uh, because I do feel like we have not that much time left in this podcast to talk about a lot of different topics. Um, but I think the three teams to nail home on surprise success from a team perspective has to be um, the Angels, the Yankees, and as well as... Give me another team. We'll, 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 you, the Twins. Oh, the entire American League. Um, I mean, I, that, well, that's my thing is that I don't... I think the National League is, is generally what I expected it to be. Like, the Mets are doing great, but... I think everybody expected the Mets to do really well. And like besides the memes of you know the Mets, ah, the Mets are going to Mets. I think the Mets were built to have a good season. They've been having the season that they yes, no, absolutely. They should have had. And I think you're right. I think that the National League has been as you might have predicted. The Brewers are on top with the Cardinals in second place in the NL Central. The NL West is extremely competitive. Dodgers, Padres, Giants separated by just two games. The Dodgers are at the top, the Padres are in second place, the Giants are in third, as I just mentioned. Um, and the most surprising thing about the NOS, which we're not going to exactly touch on, but I will mention it because it, it is the only surprise, I would say, in terms of positive success from the NOS, is that the Diamondbacks and the Rockies both have winning records. All five teams in the National League ha uh, West have winning records. And the Rockies are only five games out from the Dodgers to this point of the season. Of course, they are eleven and five at home and five and ten away. <laughs> so maybe there's a little. I wonder. I wonder there. what's going on with the Rockies. Uh, but, but the Rock, uh, the Diamondbacks definitely are performing way better than people had presumed. I had them fifth in this division, and they're seventeen and fifteen, and obviously fourth in the division. Uh, but with a winning winning record and such a tough competition, it, it's pretty surprising. Uh, but we, we won't discuss exactly what's going on in um, Arizona. Why don't we just stick to the American League? And Camilo, which one would you like to talk about first? Yankees, Twins? I know we would dread to talk about the Yankees. Uh, or the Angels? I mean, I think for me, 
I thought the Angels were had a good team. I thought the Twins, you know, I didn't think they'd be doing as well as they are. I thought they had a good team. I thought the Yankees coming into this season had a bad team. I thought they were worse than they had been uh, last season, which is to say not very good. Um, so the fact that they're 22-8 and eight right now is is very impressive to me. You know, as much as I obviously hate to say it, I think you hate to say it as well, <laughs> um, but this team has really been blowing the socks off of a lot of uh, non-Yankee fans, uh, present company included. Um, because I think their performances against the Blue Jays have definitely been um, the biggest thing that has surprised me. You know, I, they're fourteen and four at home, eight and four away, and their their hitting has been um, up to where I thought they'd be. I did not think Anthony Rizzo would be lead, tied leading home runs right, right now with ten. Uh, that has been probably on the offensive side the biggest surprise to to me. I did not, you know, I, I respect Anthony Rizzo, and I think that he has he brings a lot from a lefty bat perspective. But he's been another level in April and helped them uh, win a lot of games because uh, the thing about the Yankees, from what I've seen from them, is late runs, late inning success. They have mm-hmm. gone into many late inning games uh, where they they'd either be down by three runs. We saw it this past week with the walk off against the Blue Jays, uh, but not just that. I mean, even starting the season, they walked off against the Red Sox, correct? So, and, and we've seen them be down in low scoring games, and they'll come back and they'll win it uh, before the nine innings are up. So that to me shows that this Yankee team has a lot of power. Yeah, I think power is the word. Um, like, their slugging is, I think, like, off the chart. J- Aaron Judge alone is having, like, a career year for for slugging. Um, like, I, th- I think he's legitimately in the American League. Obviously, we're way too early to make MVP predictions. Uh, like real predictions, but I think he's genuinely com- in the conversation at this point. And all of this is with um, a career or close to career worst on base percentage, um, which you know, three fifty two on base percentage is not that bad. But mm-hmm. I I think they've this team judge, but also you know, you said Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, they have embrace the thing that the Yankees are known for, which is the long ball. Um, and it hasn't worked in the past, but I guess it, it's working so far because they have been knocking the hell out of out of uh, the baseball. But it's not just the hitting, okay? I mentioned the low-scoring games um, that they've been having and uh, in, in they getting the win. Like the Texas Rangers series, multiple games, the big moment came for them in the eighth inning or the ninth inning, even when they walked off against the Rangers. Uh, once again, that late inning success, right? But there's a reason that it's such a close game and low scoring. It's because their pitching yes. uh, has been off the charts as well, right? And, and and it just seems that a lot of the things uh, that is happening with the Yankees and their success is that everything is coming together at one mm-hmm. time. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, every team has ups and downs. Uh, but it seems like the Yankees right now, through, what, 30 games of the season for them, have been all up, right? It's it's Nestor Cortez being mm-hmm. a valuable starter for them. It's, it's, it's their back end of the rotation uh, that has been keeping them alive. Even when Garrett Cole had his tough start to the season, you're seeing Garrett Cole come back into the picture and leveling out with the team. Uh, Luis Severino has been uh, a bit of a down for them in terms of their starters but we saw them lose Corey Kluber um correct he was he was there last year he was there last year well he was injured for most of last year but he was you know there they lost Andrew Heaney uh which you know again that's not a and they lost James Paxton yes they lost James Paxton as well so there was a lot of like well you know maybe they're not going to be as good on the starting front because they they have 
um, holes to fill and, and people that are coming into the position. Uh, but no, they, they came in and had successful uh, times uh, so far. And, yeah. and Aroldis Chapman as well uh, has had not... He's always been an elite reliever, right? But I think of recent seasons, we're, we were seeing a lot of uh, struggle, I guess, from him uh, to get the save. And even so much that it was a question mark whether or not he was the closer there for a bit. Uh, but so far this season, he's been the definite closer able to get through that bottom of the ninth, right? Or the top of the ninth, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, I, just to go back to the, the starting rotation, I think any time that Garrett Cole is, you know, having a good year is clearly the second best pitcher on your rotation, I think that that speaks volumes as to how strong this team has been so far. Um, obviously, I don't think Nestor Cortez is one, his 1.41 ERA, that's obviously not sustainable over a full season. Um, but it, it's really just been, again, for someone who did not think that the Yankees were going to be that strong, not just in hitting, but in in pitching, it's been very I think very. We both surprising. had them fourth. I think we, uh, yeah, I, think I we had them, had at, them fourth. At fourth as well, um, and they are instead in first by four games, um, with an eleven game win streak, no less. Um, the one thing, though, in the mix of it, yeah. The one the one thing is that we also have to look at the strength of schedule, um, which I think is. You know, with so little games played, I think that's such a big thing to look at. And they've played precisely one team that's over 500, which is the Toronto Blue Jays. Which, to be fair, they won. They they went six and three in those two series, which is a promising indication. They've been winning the games that they're supposed to win, which are I guess against these under 500 teams. But I I would hold off on saying you know this team is is going to be the best team in the American League. Um, I would hold off on that until they play some teams like the Angels, the Rays. Um, I think they play the White Sox in the, within the next month. You know, after those series are over, I think it's better for... We'll have a better idea of how strong the Yankees actually are. And and I do want to mention now moving forward from the Yankees, because I find talking about the Yankees' success insufferable. Horrendous. Um, I want to t- <laughs> uh, move to the Angels, which I'm surprised that you, you mentioned where it was. I think we knew that they had a, a decent team, but you went on to say that they had a good team. And the only reason I didn't think that they had a good team, I think they had a competitive team that might compete for a wild card spot here not do as well as they are right. definitely well, doing yes, right now well yes that's that's certainly what it's I meant. The, it was the pitching that i had no idea how it was going to come together because that's always been the issue for the angels they've had mike trout they had justin upton before they had um i mean albert pujols who wasn't doing that well but i think the <laughs> offense for them in the past has been as expected out there in la but it's always been the pitching that has been that major question mark. Uh, but it seems like this season, uh, regardless of what their pitching is, and their pitching has done a pretty good job, uh, it's been that offense has has been absolutely crushing the ball recently. Definitely, uh, unfortunately, against the Rays to you mm-hmm. uh, of recently here. But the Angels definitely, I thought might have been good, but I didn't think they would be 21-12 and 12 good. Yeah. I think part of it is is that, you know, they had the Trouts, they had the Otanis already, but there were a lot of guys that just came out of nowhere. It's like Jared Walsh, Taylor Ward are having far and away. I wouldn't years. say I wouldn't say Walsh is that much of a surprise. You know, Walsh was an, uh, he was an all-star last year. Uh, and he had a pretty good season. I liked Jared Walsh last year, so maybe I, maybe this is just a, uh, a bias take. I thought that maybe I thought he was a really strong left-handed hitter for that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a bigger surprise definitely is Taylor Ward. Taylor Ward is a player who has come out of nowhere and has been crucial to the Angels' success in terms of their offense. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think. This is a this is a team where I think there's some very strong contributors and there are some contributors that are are you know I, I think there's a bigger 
gulf between the best and the worst in that lineup. Um, but the Wards, the Trouts, the Otanis have really come through for them. Um, and you were talking about pitching. Obviously, Otani has been great. Not necessarily as, as good as he was uh, last year in pitching. Um, but there have been other people on that on that team as well that have been solid. I mean, uh, we, t- we mentioned the Angels no-hitter. Reed Detmers, a rookie, um, is three um, – or no, I'm sorry, six games in, and he already has a no-hitter under his belt. Six games into his major yeah. league career, which is insane. He's the youngest player in Angels in Angels franchise hitter to have a no hitter uh, and a full game no hitter versus the Mets' combined no hitter. And I wanted to discuss that on this episode, but fortunately, we're in the summer months right now, and we are looking. I guess I'll go say this for the end of the podcast, but we are looking to expand uh, the output of the podcast, which means we will be finally going back to discussion topic styled podcasts uh, where we have um, where we list off what we're going to be talking about as we enter the podcast, each individual topic, and, and talk about them in segment format just as we used to do. Uh, so I'm very excited um, to get back to that end, and I think next episode we'll have a whole segment dedicated to no-hitters. Yeah. No, which we should. I mean, because there's an Angels... The Mets, which I, I, I don't think we're going to get into the Mets because I think the Mets have been doing yeah. as well as you know a lot of people thought Expected. they would. Um, and then the so many no-hitter bids to... Like, this reminds me of last year when they were, it seemed like there was a no-hitter every other day. Um, oh, I don't know. You're getting don't into, know going you're gonna on, get but... into the podcast episode topics uh, or the podcast topics for next episode communal calm oh down. yeah i can't i can't do that oh well i'll hop back to the angels real quick um i thought no i thought thor was cooked i thought thor was done um but he's he's you know not a great year but certainly he's not like a cy young candidate or anything but he's been very respectable like a lot better than i i thought he would have been um Shohei's obviously anchoring that rotation. We talked about Reed Detmers. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think that's just a, a solid group. I'm excited to see where they go. I was interested to see how Anthony Rendon would perform coming off of his injured season uh, or just injury in general. Uh, and he's he's done pretty well. I mean, he hit a lefty home run against yeah. uh, the Rays against the American uh, Shohei Otani. Yeah. Of course. Brett Phillips. Uh, do you want to tell people who that is? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> Brett Phillips, who is um, a two-way player, as they say. He is, very and, much uh, so. He's he's done, uh, well, I wouldn't say he's done a, that great of a job on the mound front, but, you know, he's <laughs> Brett Phillips is a funny character, <laughs> an icon to raise fans, and an icon in baseball, well, really. The- and he's... He let go of that home run recently to uh, Rendon. But Famous switch hitter, Anthony Rendon. Yes, who has had one lefty at-bat and one lefty home run. And it was against Brett Phillips. So, <laughs> uh, But, no, no, I mean, Anthony Rendon has had a, a good uh, comeback. I'm sure he will build up. Uh, he hit that. He hit a pretty pivotal red, uh, home run against the Red Sox. But who isn't hitting against the Red Sox relievers at the moment? Am I right? So they're <laughs> not too great. But let's talk about one last team. And I don't think there's much to say about this team's success, rather than there's certain players that have been uh, kind of surprising on this team. It's the Minnesota Twins, who I would have said if you had told me the standings and the records of the team, I would have said, oh, the Twins are definitely the 14-14 and 14 team in the American League Central, and the White Sox mm-hmm. are definitely the 18-13 and 13 team. But no, it's the other way around. And, uh, Camila, why why has that been? What, what do you have on that? Well, funnily enough, the answer is not Carlos Correa. I mean, Carlos Correa has been good. Um, he's been, he's been a, a solid shortstop for them defensively offensively um but the answer to this at least on the Mm -hmm. offensive side is byron buxton and the fact that he's healthy um hopefully you know we haven't we've just about a month into the season but if he can keep this up 
he, he is doing having career years in pretty much everything. Um, he's got he's got a two sixteen OPS plus. He's slugging seven twenty two, um, and I think he's right behind. I don't know what place he's in, but he he's got nine home runs, which is mm-hmm. right behind you know the American League. I think the league record of ten, um, with fourteen extra base hits, which, you know, all around yeah. that is fantastic. So if he can stay healthy, which is a massive if given his, you know, the last couple of years, that is a massive boon to this Twins lineup. And you know, obviously we mentioned Correa, Jorge Polanco, all solid. Max Kepler's been really good. I also think that their pitching has been not not stand out but I think it's certainly been better than expected you know Joe Ryan coming in from the Rays uh in that Nelson Cruz trade I think that is one trade where you know we were talking about how the Rays do generally well with their trades earlier mm-hmm. that's a trade that the Twins want um because Joe Ryan is having a fantastic year for them you know if he keeps it up he I, I think he could be a rookie of the year nominee yeah. for the American League, which is not something that a lot of people expected. So, like, I, I knew he was going to be good, but he's been, the numbers that he's posted have been solid, and they've been more than enough to offset the deficiencies in the rest yeah, of the Yeah, and I, I want to talk about more about the Minnesota Twins from a team perspective in the American League, as I've kind of been bringing to other conversations. Uh, but the Twins are fourth right now, uh, in strikeouts, right? So on the positive end, not on the hitting end for pitching, they they have the mo- fourth most strikeouts. Uh, and then the team whip actually is a astounding. Uh, I mean, for them, I mean, a 1.14 team whip, which is good enough uh, for fifth in the American League, right under the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and I, we didn't mention this. I didn't get to do team statistics for the, the Angels, but the Angels actually are tied with the Astros. Uh, who are also 20 and 11 in that American League West uh, for the best team whip. So obviously they're pitching on all fronts are doing well, of course, but the Angels and the Minnesota Twins are letting go more runs on the long ball, which has kind of been sort of an issue for them uh, and could be an issue going forward in terms of close games, you know, giving up that solo shot. Um, But the Twins have been pretty good on on that that pitching front for for the teams in the American League. Uh definitely better than I had thought. I mean, I I couldn't name that many uh reliable pitchers from the Twins to start the season and now definitely they're they're appearing more on my radar. So there it is. There is a recap and I know every episode feels like a recap of the Amer- of of baseball and where we're at, but it's because we we've just taken recap. I did say before the podcast <laughs> that I wasn't going to say, or I wasn't going to, I did not say that I wasn't going to say the word recap. I said I wasn't going to title this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. So that I, I am sorry about a that. Misspeak. But it just, it gets really tiresome, I'm sure, as a listener. And I'm glad to see you guys um, sticking through all of the stoppages that we've had. Uh, but we're moving to a more... Uh, reliable schedule. We're still working out the days of the week where we find that it is easiest to record the podcast and upload it. Uh, but generally, we're, we want to move to a two-form podcast. Uh, two, we want to move to two podcasts a week, one for a week recap and one for the weekend recap, just as we used to do a year ago, uh, but this time throughout the summer and, and making it reliable. Uh, so we're excited next episode to not just have a shorter podcast, but a more um scheduled and formatted podcast uh for you guys as listeners so we're not all over the place and and jumping all crazy with these um stories that we're presenting uh but we are gonna have a podcast next week absolutely after this weekend uh so stick around for that i appreciate you guys listening and if you guys enjoyed our takes and enjoyed what we do um me and camilo are both pretty active on twitter uh for me i am at tyler underscore underscore foy and camilo and also newest globe boston globe that's night side co-op member well one well i'm thank you from the newest uh boston globe sports desk editor um or writer excuse me 
Um, yeah, uh, you can find me at Fonseca underscore ESQ on Twitter, um, where when I'm not posting stuff for the Boston Globe, I'll be posting stuff about how the Lightning are losing. <laughs> well, once again, we thank you for listening to this episode, and we are excited uh, for next week where we can actually tell uh, good stories and actually have a more uh, debate-styled podcast. So stick around for that. Okay, so give like five seconds of dead air right now so I can uh, take that five seconds of dead air and do noise reduction with it. Uh, and then we'll cut. So just five seconds and then cut. <laughs>